You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 167 of the Make It British podcast. Now, there is no doubt that the last 12 months has been really hard for all retail businesses, but it has been particularly harsh for small independent retailers where the majority of their sales used to come from bricks and mortar stores. So Rowena Howie, who I'm chatting to today, is one such retailer. Her Revival Retro store is in central London and it's a destination shop for fans of her flattering dresses and stylish accessories. But like all good shopkeepers, Rowena is not one to let a little pandemic get in the way of keeping her customers happy. And in this episode, we chat about how she's pivoted her business to online whilst her store has been shut, how the government could help independent retailers and how she puts the customer at the heart of everything she does in her business. Rowena's also got some great advice for any small businesses that are thinking of working with influencers. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rowena. Here you go. Rowena, thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. That's a gorgeous dress you've got on. Is it one of your own... It's not one of my own. It's a lovely supplier that we get from uh, stuff from Sweden. Uh, her name's Emmy. I've worked with her for nearly a decade. We've got a really good relationship now. It's really fantastic. It's beautiful. So, I mean, I think of you as like the queen of the dresses, really. Do you <laughs> want to tell everyone what your background is and how you started Revival Retro? Oh, well, if we're going to talk about my background, I used to send people to Outer Mongolia, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> That's obscure. It but is, I yeah. love that because you're now in retail. So you've not come from a retail background. How did, why did you send people to Outer Mongolia? Well, I used to work in the travel industry and we'd, Sarah, we um, specialised in uh, journeys across Asia, Trans-Siberian, Trans-Mongolian Railway and across Central Asia. So what we were essentially doing is making people's dreams come true and... Oh, that's what I like to do in my shop. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, there is some similarity there. There is a segue. <laughs> Plus also, Asmong Gallery is great for cashmere. But do you <laughs> yeah. have any cashmere in your shop? I don't. Maybe I should go back. <laughs> a lot of the cashmere goats living there. Yeah, indeed. So what made you decide from going from working in the travel industry then to setting up a, a shop? Well, I was working in the travel industry up until around 2009, the last big recession. Uh, I was a key account manager um, traveling across Europe. I was on the road two thirds of the year. And due to budgets, uh, uh, because of the business, I got grounded. So I was suddenly actually beginning to live my life properly in London and having a social life and taking up hobbies. And one of the hobbies was swing dancing, which, if you don't know, it's a partner dance. If you've ever heard of jive, like swing dance is a is a bit like jive but not so much throwing people up in the air <laughs> it's just a nice Amazing. little uh, get together so um i took that up and uh, i'd always been a fan of like old black and white films like fred and ginger and i always thought the women always looked amazing so elegant and lovely and i love what ginger Reg rogers says about i did everything he did backwards and in high heels so you know i'm better <laughs> and um Brilliant. yeah just being part of that community there was loads of occasions to dress up and dance and although it 
began as a dress-up thing, once my friends outside of swing dance started saying, oh, I like that dress you're wearing, where's that from? It didn't seem so dress-up to me. It seemed like something I could wear in my everyday life and many other people could do. Ah, okay. So did at what point then did you think, right, I'm going to open up a shop selling beautiful dresses? <laughs> um, well, after uh, the, the big crash of 2009 and working in the travel industry, um, I'd already been made redundant twice before after 9-11 and then other disasters in the world. And uh, this time that I got made redundant, I decided that maybe I wasn't even if I could get another job in the travel industry, maybe I didn't want to. Maybe it was changing unrecognisably. And meanwhile, I'd started this little hobby business that had been going for 18 months or so. And um, a friend suggested to me that I should get a shop. And I said, are you mad? Get a shop in 2010? That's not what people do. People are online these days. She was like, no, no, let's look at it and, uh, you know, cough it out and see if it's possible and stuff. And um I was very, very cautious. I was only ever willing to do a pop-up, but that rolling three-month pop-up rolled and rolled and rolled and became permanent as we grew and we uh, and as we uh, gained more and more customers. It was wonderful. Amazing. So were you, at that point, buying in all of the stock from other people? Was it dresses that you were already buying to wear to do your dancing in, for instance? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, when I'd just been a hobby business, I had uh, done a very specialist product, which was um, um, dance shoes, which have suede soles so you can execute spins and turns and stuff more easily. And then I expanded to uh, a broader range of shoes, including some beautiful sort of vintage inspired styles. So no stilettos, no kitten heels, just some really amazing and different looking shoes. And women were like, yeah, I could wear them with a pair of jeans and they'd look amazing. Um, and then I, um, as, as, as my swing dance customers had started asking me, what can I wear to uh, this party at the weekend? And I'd started to get in dresses. Yeah, I mean, they might have been vintage inspired. They might have been uh, a 1940s style. But to anybody who didn't know, it was just a pre-dress. It was just a really yeah. nice, well-made, well-fitting, really flattering dress. And that which that, I love, that love is, gotta love a good flattering dress. That's where it's at, <laughs> <laughs> and comfy shoes. Yeah. And the first shop was where. So we opened up in Kingley Court. It was an opportunity at a time when a big landlord was giving over space to small startups. Uh, during the two to three years that I was there on a rolling pop-up, they um, they instigated the change to what Kingley Court now is and what people might have visited, which is a food court. So the entire place is now restaurants. So we were given six months notice or so to say, look, we're going to ask you to leave. This is what we're doing. But in fact, because I'd been doing so well, I'd actually had an eye on the market to open up a second shop elsewhere anyway. So the, the, the research kind of morphed into moving to a new bigger shop rather than, um, than, than two small ones. Um, we're a real destination ah. shop. So I, I knew yeah. I wanted to remain in central London, even though I couldn't avoid, uh, afford Carnaby anymore or Soho. Um, so we got pushed north into an area known as Fitzrovia, which is just north of Oxford Street. Um, so we're five minutes from Tottenham Court Road. So we are dead central for those destination customers that want to come and visit us. Um, and now, yeah, Windmill Street is where we're at now. Windmill Street, right? Yeah, Everyone needs, and you're you're open again now. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, at that point, then, when you had the the first shop in Kingley Court, which is off, yeah. just off Carnaby Street, isn't it? Which yeah. used to have a lot of 
I wouldn't I don't want to use the word kind of vintage and retro but that's sort of a very similar customer I mean I used to go and shop there I've told you and go to the vintage shops there yeah, I no, went to it, your shop when it was there I mean had a great two, vibe to it absolutely I mean back in sort of 2004 to 2008 vintage was very very big um there was a lot of vintage stores in London there's not anymore uh, there's no. now only a few select ones we we kind of caught the tail end of that and um and I I absolutely hate vintage shops like true original vintage i can't be bothered to go throwing bins of stuff it needs to be on you a nice rail and laid out yeah. and i don't want it to smell of mothballs and fortunately that well fortunately that's the kind of vintage shop that is largely now gone the one that i don't like <laughs> but there is some amazing sort of more curated vintage shops in london now so yeah, they all exactly fit perfectly together yeah, but you have actually moved, you're moving more away from that retro sort of feel, aren't you? I mean, you say your dresses are 40s inspired. Yeah. But I mean, actually, like you say, anyone could wear them. What we really love is feminine tailoring, classic cuts, mm. and clothing that flatters women's bodies, whatever shape or size they may be. That's what we're about. So, yeah. So, you have your own brand as well. So, when you first started the shop, you stocked other brands, didn't you? Like the yeah. Emmy brand that you've just talked yeah. about. At what point did you develop your own brand? Um, in my head, I developed it in day one when I wrote a business plan. But I think when I wrote my <laughs> business plan back in uh, sort of 2009, it was probably just a vanity project. Um, whereas what happened over the years was everything changed <laughs> literally everything changed in retail over the last 10 years yeah. and it became more and more of a necessity and the first garments that we made out of our own range were absolutely designed to fill in gaps in our range that I literally couldn't source elsewhere I tried I'd been to trade shows not just in the UK all over the world um I, I basically wanted to make um, a jacket for a woman with a bust. I wanted it to be able to button up, do up without <laughs> gaping and have room for my bust. And uh, I, I, so many customers shared that, that problem. Um, and then once we'd created the, the perfect jacket, we wanted um, sort of a matching skirt to go with it. So there came an A-line skirt and a pencil skirt and trousers. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's where it began by solving that problem. So it evolved organically through customer demand, really, as well. And not just, you know, you wanting something to fit a bigger yeah, bus, yeah. but for your customers. That must be one of the great advantages of having an actual store that you can't get Absolutely. if you've got customers online. you've got it exactly. I mean, we build amazing relationships with our customers and we really, really do listen to the feedback. And still now, every single item that we make within our own range, we make it with customer feedback in mind, so... Yeah, and where do you get that product made? It's made in London, isn't it? Yeah, made in Britain, Yay! made in UK, <laughs> and uh, just about almost everything is made locally in London. What was the reason for deciding to do that? Truthfully, the reason was because I had no background in fashion, I, I no knowledge of garment tech, no knowledge of how to work with factories, and I want I, I build relationships with customers. I wanted to build relationships with my suppliers and I wanted to learn from them because they are the experts in what they do. And I wanted to learn how to create a great relationship going forward that would allow me to grow and them to prosper too. Brilliant. Love it. Um, so back to your shop then. Tell me about some of the in-store experiences that you have for your customers. 
Oh, my goodness. Well, this week it was just fabulous to be reopened. And we had a woman who'd been looking at shoes online and she didn't want to buy shoes online. And she'd waited to come to the factory and she was trying on the shoes. And she literally did a little happy dance around the shop because she was so glad to be there. Um, Yeah, um, I mean, my my team are absolutely wonderful. It's not just that, that they're knowledgeable and experienced. It's because they care as well, um, because we do take the time to listen, to do take the time to find the the right thing, not anything. Um, it's the beauty of small business, isn't it? We're awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what sets you apart from the big retailers. And I really do think that now is the time for the independent retailer. I without really without so. a doubt. I hope so. That kind of in-store experience that you can get by shopping in a small store where, I mean, how, how many days a week do you yourself actually work in the shop? Um, I will be in the premises um, almost every day it's open. It's a bit, dr- bit different yeah. during COVID and work from home times, but generally, yeah. So I, I might not be the person on the shop floor allocated to that that task of the day but I will regularly overhear a team member talking with a customer that, and I recognise that voice and I'm like I know who that is and I come out and oh, say hi that's brilliant so, so I'm regularly on the shop floor even if I'm not the only person in the shop yeah so the last year obviously has been really challenging for all <laughs> yeah. retail but particularly for independent business I really feel for you um I mean, what have been the highlights, I suppose? What has surprised you about what has been good that might have come out of the last 12 12 months? Because I don't want to just dwell on Everyone knows it's been so difficult. But what has come out of it that maybe has surprised you that you thought, well, at least there is a silver lining? Uh, two main things. So the first thing was that when uh, when sales fell, fell off a cliff edge early days, March, April last year, and um, we were not eligible for government grants because the government excluded properties over 51,000 rateable value. And in central London, everyone's over that. So yes. we, we weren't going to get we, we, we were not eligible for the 25,000 grant. And that was that was game over. We were about to go. And in the last ditch attempt, we actually ran a crowdfunder part of the pay it forward. Uh, campaign and our amazing customers <laughs> they raised £28,000 for us wow so that was just stunning meant we were back oh. in the game we could still keep going and more than that I think it was the um there was like 220 messages of support from people who gave money just saying you're amazing you can't go anywhere you can't close we love you like we're gonna come back oh, that's when incredible Oh, that makes me well up hearing that. That's just amazing. So it's not just the money, it's the knowledge that, you know, your customers will return to you at some point because, you know, a lot of retailers out there are still suffering, you know. I mean, never mind what you sell or what industry you're in. Sometimes, like me, with location being in a city centre, people are not getting on on public transport yet and coming back into the city centres. Yeah. So what can government do to help support small independent retailers like yourself? Absolutely. I mean, that's the the other thing that I've learned, and it's about the um, it's about the landlord tenant relationship and everything that surrounds that. So, what the government can do is is a complete revamp of the rate system, and I bring that up in the landlord tenant relationship because it, it, it's all intertwined. I mean, how how properties are valued, how they get their valuation, how they get their uh, rateable value, how they get their rates bill. Um, So, I mean, the government can't affect private landlords apart from maybe 
encouraging a moral code of conduct, but they can encourage conversation and best practice about rents. And what the government can absolutely control is rates and completely bringing about a full revamp of that system because it's long overdue and everyone's acknowledged that the, the system is no longer fit for purpose. Um, so yeah. that's, that's what I want to see happen and begin action on this year. I mean, I thought it would happen in this budget, but next budget, um, it's got to happen. Do you think it's because they have a complete, I mean, they, they being you know, the government, mm. lack of understanding about how small businesses operate, about retail. I kind of feel like they're looking after the big guys a lot and forgetting about the small. And, you know, there's so many small businesses. There's, there's, and most of them as well are female run, aren't they? It's more independent stores. And that's a whole different story about access to funding and, and how we finance our businesses and how we conduct our businesses. But, yeah, with regard to uh, what the government could do in terms of, of helping with 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 changing the rate system i mean taxation is blooming complicated i get it you can't just go about changing that overnight and you know one of the big things the big conversations about covid has been that you know if there's ever a time for big wholesale change this is it this is the time to do that so i'm i'm really concerned that that conversation and that action hasn't even begun to happen with small businesses because um, you do need to consult, I think. You do need to talk to yeah. those who are interested. And when I say small businesses, I'm not just talking about the retail shops. It's the rates that affect people in the supply chain too. So it yeah. is, you know, yeah. manufacturers. Small it is factories, factories. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How has it affected your manufacturers that are based in London? Um, I mean, the uh, a lot of them sort of were shut in the early days of lockdown one. They have fortunately been operating again in sort of lockdowns two and three while those businesses were allowed to continue. So, I mean, I haven't been in a position yet to come back and, and do a new set of production. It's It's been a year now. But what I want to do is sort of keep in contact with them, make sure that they're there, <laughs> tell them that I'm yeah. here and give them an idea of, when I am going to be ready and come back and what 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 I would like to realise and can what can they expect and how can they guide me on that. So say you've, you've got to have a comment you've got to have a conversation and you've got to appreciate it's yeah. not all from your point of view. <laughs> it's not all me, yeah. me, me. It's a it's a collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um during uh, the pandemic, obviously your shop was closed. What I suppose you've been closed nine months out of the last twelve, pretty much, haven't you? At the time yeah, of recording almost, this, April. Yeah, a little 21. bit more than that because again, sort of being on that that in that city centre, the the hat, there was a decision last year where the government said, "Oh, you can reopen now." But there literally wasn't any point because nobody was in central London. I mean, the offices aren't still aren't back now, even this second time around as we're having deja vu. But also if, if the if the message is to stay at home, then people were not going to be journeying into a dress shop in, in central London. So we had to make a commercial decision that although we were allowed to open, we we wouldn't. Um so we and then I and then uh, this is last summer, it's really necessary to uh, you know talk to the people in your organization and see how they're feeling not to say right you're back tomorrow you're in the sh you're on the shop floor dealing with strangers we had to take yeah. time and and find what people were happy with and ha that they were healthy and the you know the, the risk assessments and everything else that you've got to do but you know again 
talking to people and seeing and encouraging them and supporting them. And so this time, people, my staff have felt more confident to come back. Um, but again, from that commercial point of view, we did open the first week, the whole week. But I mean, we had hardly anyone through the doors midweek. So now we're only going to open Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays until future notice. Hold on, move your hand from the... Um, yeah, that's it, because it ruffles the start, start that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where can you start from there? You were going to only open... Yeah, so from a commercial yeah. point of view, we it's not worth opening five days a week. We're going to be opening Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays until future notice. Um, mm. uh, until people are coming back into town. And it's not just about footfall, it's about dwell time too. Like, yeah. uh, people, that's how more customers find you. The discovery angle is when they go to a neighbourhood and they look around a bit further than the one place that they were going to go. And, and that just is really important to the West End in theatres reopening, museums and art galleries. Yeah. We're a destination shop, but, you know, you do it to do many things at once so we are all we're all interconnected is what i'm trying to say kate yeah so how did you adapt over the last year in terms of switching to online so what percentage of online was your business because it was you obviously got this bricks and mortar store but you did still have a website what percentage was it at, at 12 months ago uh, 12 months ago, we were probably around 20% uh, online business compared to 80% in-store. And that was actually a bit of a, 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 a an active decision because in-store, we can far more easily increase the average transaction value, reduce returns um, and give the customer a, a more rounded experience that will follow through into a longer relationship. So all, all our call to actions on our website were come to the store if you can. Um, obviously, yeah. that meant an even bigger fall off a cliff edge with sales on day one of COVID kind of thing. But um, it, we did have a full professional e-commerce site. We were able to sell online. There wasn't there wasn't a great need to suddenly set up something new. It already existed. We just had to leverage it and use it more productively. And we were also aware that we're not just selling to the UK, we're selling internationally too. So there was a few real practical problems with our website, such as we couldn't offer tax-free shopping. And with Brexit coming up, we knew we, were, we needed to address that because we didn't know what the deal was going to be at that point and during COVID last year. But we knew we had to get the website ready for the, the likely eventualities. And then that helps our sales to North America too. So all of like 2020 was um, about, um, we did a big survey to our customers. We did, um, we hired a, um, a UX person who did customer research focus groups. Um, and then we did, we, re we redesigned the website and did it from the bottom up um, to make it, to, just to get rid of those friction points and to make it easier to, to, to sell more to more people. Yeah, I love the fact that you're all about the customer. You mentioned the customer so much, and I think that is so important for small businesses, even in the, the you know the way that you then built out your your new online store. Yeah, and it's, you know, uh, it's have, really good. This has been a hard year, and you know, there's no doubt we may we may have to close our bricks and mortar shop if rent and rates and everything don't resolve. That may be the case. So even as an online shop, it will still be the case that the customer comes first. That they are they're the heart and soul. You know. 
Yeah. So how do you try and recreate some of that amazing customer experience that you can deliver in your store to customers online? Particularly, you mentioned you've got customers from North America, which is brilliant. How do you recreate that on your new online store? Well, these days, social media is just so pivotal to the customer experience. It's part and parcel of everything, really. So um, in the early days of Instagram, I used to love it, but resent it at the same time. I was like, <laughs> so much fun, love doing all the happy pictures, but it's not bringing me any sales. Like you can, you used to be able to track the data. And I think in four years, I'd had one attributable sale to Instagram. But um, as you say, Kate, like from um, being able, from having bricks and mortar and being able to talk to people in the shop, I can tell you that the number of people in the last, you know, five years who've come through the front doors and literally gone, I've been following you for like six months or a year and I love it. And I'm, I've come to London for the weekend and I couldn't be in London without coming to Revival Retro. I'm so happy to be here. Like they would literally announce it because <laughs> they've seen on the feed that other customers being part of the in-store experience. They'd seen what fun getting, it is. They'd seen the social FOMO. side of it. Yeah, totally. So they were, you don't even, I didn't even, sometimes I didn't even have to ask how did you hear about it literally people would announce it like i've followed you for oh, so brilliant. long i'm so yeah. glad to be here and for a destination shop and for that kind of buy into the brand people had been they may have waited six months to come to the shop because they don't live in london but that meant they'd saved for six months <laughs> so yeah they were, amazing they were right, okay. <laughs> when they came yeah um you know they'd earmarked us along with the british museum in the london eye of where they were going to go and spend their time so that's good brilliant and was that international customers as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do remember we had one woman from Glasgow who said she'd come down on the train only to see us in an exhibition at the V&A. Um, but we've had, we, we <laughs> regularly had um, Scandinavians, particularly Norwegians, coming over because they were doing the tax-free shopping as well. So that was double little whammy for them, um, which that may now end <laughs> with the government stopping yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, they would literally just come shopping for the weekend and, you know, buy a whole load of stuff from us. And then, you know, we have amazing American customers that if they're on that big, you know, trip, <laughs> they were making time as well, yeah. which is spectacular. Real destination shop. Mm. Gosh. So what are your plans then for, you know, obviously we're not getting the tourists that we used to get in London at the moment and I can't see that that's going to pick up. No, not for a few years. Foreseeable, no. Um, and I suppose you'd understand that more than most having come <laughs> from, the, from the travel industry. Yeah. So what are your plans then going forward for how to, to grow the business? Well, um, our, our two-pronged attack is the same from 2020 onwards into 2021. It's constantly working on improving the website and constantly working on our own range, um, developing the Made in Britain angle, making sure that our products are exactly aligned to what our customers actually want and need. Um, keeping an eye on price because it's really the value perception at Revival Retro is incredibly important. Um, and just making sure that those values are aligned, um, what people are willing to pay for, what people need and what just steals their heart and they want to buy it anyway. <laughs> and if well, they yeah, have exactly. the disposable income to do so. Yeah, there's a certain amount of um, see it, love it, kind of have yeah. to have it with your products, I'm sure. I mean, a lot of what you're selling is about fit. You've mentioned, you know, about getting the jacket to be the right fit. Yeah. How can you replicate that online or have you not found a way yet? 
it's not just about size and what your inch measurements are. It's about shape as well. Um, that's what we talk about with our customers. And, you know, just because we have one amazing jacket that does up across the bus, that's for a large bus. <laughs> you know, it's going to yeah. be all poofy and have too much room if for someone small, doesn't yeah. have a large bus, you know. So we're not like this jacket suits everybody. It is about um, describing the the products incredibly importantly and the one thing that we're really finding hard with online is um displaying the the product on the right person so for instance if we're talking about that jacket for a larger bust i want to be photographing it on a model with a larger bust i want Mm. to demonstrate exactly what it's meant to do um but then we're only doing one photo shoot and we have to shoot many different things in a day. We can maybe only have one, maximum two models because of the logistics of running a shoot for a day. Um, and then you want to plan in having um, diversity in terms of uh, what you're showing, in terms of who you're showing. Um, so that's very difficult when you've only got like one day shoot of which, you know, three hours is hair and makeup. Then you maybe get five, six hours of shooting maximum and than the logistics of what the photographer and the models and um, assistants and everything else are doing. So that's that's really tricky to do to get it right, to present it right, because can I do a flat lay of a jacket designed for a bigger bust? Does that that demonstrate that? Yeah, Um, possibly not. Yeah, it's but one a real thing I think you one. do really well, your newsletters are great. And actually, to anyone listening to this podcast, go and subscribe to Revival Retro's newsletters because you're, it's just a, you know, even if you, you're not your typical customer, just seeing how you do your email marketing, I think is really good because you, you have a great way of talking about your customer that makes them feel like they are part of your gang. Oh, like, oh you know, you. I like reading her. I like reading her newsletters because I feel like I'm part of her gang and I want to, you know, wear her dresses. Oh, cool. It definitely speaks to your tribe of people. You're very good at having that communication, which is why I wondered how you, because you've definitely translated what you get as a store experience into your newsletters. Yes. So that's why I wondered how, you, how you've how you translated that online. And it's obviously an ongoing challenge, right. an ongoing so problem. So that's exactly somewhere how you can overcome the photography angle because you can put, a, you can put a, a professional shot and some snapshots in a newsletter, but you don't want to make a snapshot your key photo on your website kind of thing. So, yeah. so that's why social media and newsletters, I think, are really important in building out that experience. Yeah, photographs of real products on real people. Yeah. Do you ever use influencers or other people? I mean, are you still into the dancing, by the way? <laughs> do no, you use other d- dancers to do the modelling for you? Well, um, regarding the dancing, you know, three years into my business, uh, all hobbies had gone out no the time. window. There's no time <laughs> oh, no. for that. And, uh, of course, we're in COVID time, so a partner dance where you dance with another person in oh, close contact, course, you cannot then... do. Swing dancing is not happening anywhere in the world right now. So that's just quite spectacular change. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, all dance is not happening unless it's a solo dance. No. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I know some manufacturers who are dancewear businesses who are having to pivot because no yeah. one's doing any dance competitions. Yeah. Which Sorry. is crazy when you think they're going to try and put the Olympics on. But I forgot what your question because was. Because a lot of that is... I, uh, I, asked you, <laughs> I went off about dance. What did you ask me? 
<laughs> I've forgotten now. Oh, do you ever use influencers? Oh, right. To... Um, yes, we have used um, influencers over the years. Um, I haven't during COVID times, but um, we are actually on about 37,000 followers or something on Instagram. And we got there largely by working with influencers. But I... Yeah. I, I did it quite differently. I, 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 I invented my own game with my own rules rather than playing everybody else's game. Brilliant. I love it. You gave me the Rowena touch. Did, How did yeah. you find the influencers then? Uh, well, and I hate that word influencer. Yeah, I know, How did you find... But, yeah. you know, this, was, this was back in 2017 and I, I actually really enjoy Instagram myself just doing it. Um, and I was following a lot of people and um, instead of sending a random dress to a random person, I don't know if it's going to fit or flatter them at all, I decided that I was going to bring the 10 people on Instagram who I follow and most respect and would most like to meet in the world. I decided to bring them to my shop. <laughs> So I ah. I gave them a free weekend in London. I hired uh, an Airbnb, massive Victorian house in northwest London, and I put them all up. They could bring their partner with them too, and all they had to do was spend a day with me on the Sunday coming to the shop, and then we'd have afternoon tea. So I got them to come to the shop. I got them to have the London experience. I gave them a great hospitality time, so I got a lot of goodwill, which probably helped with sort of... Um, uh, goodwill in terms of more content than the actual first post that was what was contractually agreed um, and actually uh, because I'd invited the person people that I really like and respect they turned out to be great so you know we did actually uh, end up sort of being friends and uh, you know one woman has now moved back to New Zealand but we're still in contact and she did a post without me asking this week going my favourite London shop has reopened like oh amazing, <laughs> you know, amazing. what a great so, idea though and I suppose that probably comes from your travel background as well thinking <laughs> right what sort of experience can I give people well, I just I just refused to send out a dress to someone that I didn't know their shape, whether it was going to be any good. Like, I, I just didn't understand that. But what I did understand was that the in-store experience means a lot. Even yeah. if it happens once in your life and then you buy online for the rest of the time. Exactly. And that's what, yeah, it can't be beat. So what advice would you give to anyone who is maybe online only at the moment who wants to go in the other direction and start thinking about maybe having a pop-up shop or... a a small retail space somewhere? Uh, well, when I say in-shop, because I have a shop, but what I really mean, I suppose, is in-person. Because does the space matter? Yes, it does, but no, it doesn't totally. So um, it is about getting to know your customers, to understand them, to listen to them. And that can be done in a space that is not necessarily a permanent shop. Um, I would say that because also having started my business as a hobbypreneur, I used to, you know, I used to t uh, turn up at dance class and people knew that I was the girl selling the shoes and they'd be like, oh, can you bring me a size six next week? And I was like, I'll do that. I'll also bring you a five and a half because they come up a little bit different. So next week I'd turn up with an Ikea bag full of shoes and then they'd be there. <laughs> and then I'd be the girl with the shoes kind of thing. So, you know, people got to know me for that. I even, had, <laughs> I even before I had a website... Before I had a website, I had a Facebook group that was called, I'm not even kidding, it was called Swing Dance Shoes for Londoners, Rowena's Try Before You Buy 
How's that for the longest business Brilliant. name ever? But it, good for SEO, I suppose. <laughs> oh, that was even before SEO. That was a Facebook group before it all existed. So you were yeah. a travelling shoes salesperson I was, then. yeah. I was just a girl at class who did the shoes, you know. And then the dresses. Oh, and then they had the shop and, yeah. It used to really annoy me. So in any early... in-person... Yeah. Sorry, okay. Uh, in the early days, people used to refer to it as a, as a Rowena dress. And, you know, I have a business name. It used to really annoy me. I'm, it's not a Rowena dress. It's from Revival Retro. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Rowena is a name you need to think of then. If, um, Revival Rowena. No, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. But in-person <laughs> in person matters, when it's, whether it's online yeah. or offline. People get people. It's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what are you planning then once we're, well, when we're all kind of totally allowed out properly and hopefully no mask wearing and all that sort of thing? And what are you planning for, well, for in-person experiences? Immediately after the, the roadmap allows us to no longer socially distance, one, uh, uh, on July 18th, it will be 10 years of the anniversary of the shop opening. So that's pretty okay. amazing. So that's yes. good. And during the crowdfunder, one of the one of the pledges that you could buy and donate ten pounds was a ticket to our reopening party, which back ah. then we thought was going to happen a lot sooner. Than yes, people are still waving this party ticket. Yeah. So we might combine that that crowdfunder uh, pledge along with the tenth anniversary, and that that might be the first yeah. event as such where we. Um, where we where we get a, a bunch of people in the space and have a party um but beyond that i'm planning i'm still planning to look at the website as a priority because i i don't believe that business will get back to pre-covid levels by the time that by september when all of the the the, the, the grants and the furlough scheme and everything ends and uh, rent and rates is a big issue and Will we be able to stay in the shop? I don't know. So what I'm mm. planning for is to continue to build our online presence, um, to build awareness of Revival Retro, um, to build the brand, and also to build online conversions. And that means yeah. that we just have to look more and more at that customer experience online or in not a permanent shop. I mean, if we're in pop-ups, if we're if we move location, if we're online only, I mean, or these are all possibilities that are beyond my ability just to decide there's too many external factors. So to protect my business, I I have to look at how important online is. Yeah, definitely. So for now then, where's the best place for people to find you? Is it the online store or also to come into the shop in London? Well, uh, I, I think you can definitely get to know us through being on our newsletter, Kate, as you said. Uh, you can sign up definitely. on our website, which is revival-retro.com. Uh, you can, of course, follow us on social media. We're at Revival Retro. Um, and the shop is at 30 Windmill Street in London, the nearest tube to Tottenham Court Road and Good Street. Brilliant. And it's too late for anyone to get a ticket to that party then, isn't it? Oh, there might be a, a chance yet, but we have to wait and see how many people are going to be allowed in a room by July 18th. Yes, of course. How big is your shop? Uh, What's the square foot? 1,300 square foot. Uh, so 1,350. Um, uh, but that's including the back office area. But I mean, it is a large shop. We have had, we've had 50 people in for a party before. So that's, that's definitely yeah. possible. 
yeah, you should be fine. Because I think when we were trying to look at whether we could possibly put our event on, it was one person per 10 square foot. Right. Because I suppose okay. then that gives you the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you should be all right for a good hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> there'll be a nice day and we can spill outside <laughs> onto the pavement. Definitely, definitely. Wearing those lovely uh, tea dresses of yeah, yours. Yeah, and of or, course we'll be taking some snapshots of everyone who turns up in their revival gear because it'll be all over social media too. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, Rowena, it's so good to speak to you. Thank you very much. You're a real, um, you're a real inspiration when oh, it comes to the way that you, so that you. you work thank with your you, customers. <laughs> oh, thank you, Rowena. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.